So, so this is a teaching model. So our first week was the rocking chair, and the message was, as, as we all remember, nothing is impossible with God, right? Let's repeat that together. Nothing is impossible with God. We'll put that up on the PowerPoint to further uh, help you remember that. That was the story of Sarah and Abraham. They found out nothing was impossible with God because Sarah couldn't have a child, and God delivered a child for her. So that was our message from the first week. Uh, the second week, uh, we looked at the fuzzy dice. You guys remember these dice? And we looked at the story of Ruth. And we came to the conclusion that there really is no such thing as chance. There's no magic eight balls in life. It was divine appointments. And God gives us divine opportunities in our life. So the challenge, the message for us, was to look for God's divine appointments. That's what we learned from the message of Ruth. And then we had uh, our good old Dukes of Hazard. This was Danny Ferguson's message. We learned about Elijah. And remember, Elijah was a hick off in the, the fields. And so, according to Danny, he said it kind of was reminding him of Uncle Jesse. But despite this guy's low status and crazy accent and all of that, he prayed for impossible things to happen, and God answered his prayers. And so that was the message for us, was pray for the impossible to happen. And then uh, last week, last week... It was this man, this is just a shell of his former self, but we had Goliath, all nine foot two of them, hanging right up here. We cut him off at the waist. I think next week we're just going to have his head, and slowly we'll just continue to dwindle him down. But that was a story of David, and the message was, never face a giant alone. Remember, David, he understood that God was with him, and that God could do anything in his life. So we went through that rhyming summary of the story, never face a giant alone, God will help you throw the stone. Anyone remember that or just me? Because I was forced to remember. Okay, but a few people remember that. Hopefully that stays with you uh, for a few years. And so we'll, we'll continue on in our, our message this morning. So we went with a rhyming theme last week. This week we're going to do a reader's theater. It's going to be quite invigorating. There's going to be a lot of drama happening. And I get to play the role of director. So what I say goes, which is always fun. So I need a couple of volunteers outside of the front row. So uh, this gentleman right back here in the right sweatshirt. All right, come on up front here. Now for those of you with your Bibles, which hopefully is, is most of you, uh, this is a little bit of a different rendition of the story than what you see in your divinely inspired scripture. This is a little bit of the New Living Translation, a little bit of the message uh, written by uh, Eugene Peterson, and a little bit of my commentary on the story. So uh, the, the point is, it stays true, uh, but it, it does a little bit over a modern approach. So the story comes from 2 Samuel chapter 9, and it's a story about King David once again, who we looked at last week and a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, we don't know if that's a correct way of pronouncing his name, but since I'm the director, we're going to call him Mephibosheth, okay? And that's how we're going to pronounce his name. So, our volunteer here, lovely volunteer, let me get you, uh, let me get you this microphone. Now, please tell us your name. Brayden. Okay, and I'll let you hold this thing. You can hold it with two, but up to your mouth because we want to hear all the inflection that comes from the dramatic presentation of this story. Okay, so up, up at the mouth. Up at the mouth. So we have Braden, and Braden, you say, my name is Mephibosheth. My name is Mephibosheth. 
You know what? The great thing about being Mephibosheth is you never have to say your name. So that's why we're naming you Mephibosheth. This is going to be your stand here. Okay. We're going to put this guy here. And just so everyone knows, this is Mephibosheth, all right? He's no longer Braden. His name is Mephibosheth. And uh, your lines here are all highlighted. You have a couple of lines here. And so you can get ready for that. We need two other characters, though. Maybe some adult characters to get into this story. Anyone back there? Any adults? I'm going to have to start calling on people. Brian Cool. I saw that hand. Brian Cool is going to be King David. So, Brian, this is your stand. Um, why don't you grab that mic? And we do have a couple of props because, you know, as he's, Brian is definitely a gallant man, but just to help us out, we, we need to put a crown on him. So, King David. And uh, Mephibosheth, I almost forgot, but... It's like ritual shaming. Mephibosheth is crippled, so um, these are yours. You don't have to use them, but you can kind of hang on to them if you want. It's going to be our, our crop for it. And we need one more, one more volunteer. And let's go with Brody. I know you have some experience in, in drama, so we're going to have you come up. And Mephibosheth, be careful here, because we've got one more person to put in here. And this is Ziba. Again, not sure the pronunciation, but Brody is Ziba. And Brody, doesn't matter how you spell it, because it's all right there. Okay, so this is your highlighted piece. And we're going to get the microphones all set up and ready for everyone. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is our story. And are my actors ready? Yes, everyone's ready. Brody, do you have a microphone? You don't have a microphone. Why don't you share it? Why don't you share it with Mephibosheth? You guys shared this mic when it's your time. We got we got a microphone here. Thanks, John. Okay, everyone has a mic. And uh, Ziba, actually, I need to give you your prop. Ziba, you're a servant, so this is a little bit of a servant's hat. Okay, there you go. Perfect. Here we go. David was the king of Israel, and his kingdom had expanded and triumphed over many of Israel's enemies as God has intended. He was rich, powerful, and well-loved by the people of Israel. This is King David, well-loved. One day, King David thought out loud, I wonder if anyone from Saul's family is still alive, if a member of his house is still living. I want to show God's kindness to them for Jonathan's sake. After all, he was one of my best friends, and I promised him that I would care after his family. Realizing that his thoughts may have not been heard by everyone, David got resourceful. So he summoned a man named Ziba because he was a king, and kings do things like summoning. And Ziba had been one of Saul's servants. When Ziba was brought to the king, David asked him, Are you Ziba, the former servant of Saul? To which Ziba replied, You know what? I didn't, I didn't turn on your mic, so that's a narrator problem there. Okay, so to which Ziba replied, Yes, sir, this is the truth. 
King David then asked Ziba the same question that he had been wondering earlier in the day. Ziba, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Yes, Saul's grandson is still living, but crippled in both legs. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth what? Mephibosheth. (laughs) He is Jonathan's son. He was five years old when Saul and Jonathan died. When the news reached the house that Mephibosheth's father and grandson were dead, his nurse picked him up and ran away quickly. But in her hurry, the boy fell and he became crippled. Say his name for me just one more time. Mephibosheth. If it helps, his closest friends call him Mephibi. Mephibi. I like that. If that's what his friends call him, then I'll call him that too. I'm glad to hear that he's still living. I will send my men to find Mephibi right away. And King David didn't waste any time. He sent his men to Makir's home in Lodabar, where Mephibosheth was said to be living. They found him there told him that he had been summoned by King David and escorted Mephibosheth to the king's palace. When Mephibosheth was brought to David, he bowed very low to the ground with deep respect and humility. Very well done, Mephibosheth. Very, very low to the ground. Hello, Mephibi. Good to meet you. Your dad and I were great friends. Man, we had some good times together. My lord, I am your humble and willing servant. Whoa, whoa, Mephibi. Don't be afraid, my friend. I brought you here to show you kindness and grace because of your father. I made a promise to your dad, Jonathan, years ago, and today I'm going to make it happen. And the land that your grandfather Saul once owned will now be yours. And from now on, you will eat with me and my family at the king's table. Once again, Mephibosheth bowed to David with deep reverence. Deep, deep reverence. But he looked perplexed and awestruck as he stumbled to find the words. Why would you be so kind to me? I'm nothing. I'm like a dead dog. Broken toy. I'm like an empty pop can that can't even be recycled for a refund. I'm a dead link on a website. I'm like a PC with a virus. But despite Mephibosheth's ongoing attempts to describe his own inadequacies, King David made no reply. Instead, the king once again summoned Ziba, Saul's former servant. I have given Mephibi everything that belonged to your master Saul and his family. And this is what you will do from now on. You, your sons, and your servants are to farm the land for Mephibi to produce food for his household and all that he owns, which includes you, your 15 sons, and all your servants. So you'd better do a good job. But Mephibi, the son of my friend Jonathan, the grandson of your former master Saul. He will eat here at my table. Yes, yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do everything you have commanded. And so it happened exactly in this way. From that time onward, Mephibosheth ate at King David's table, just like a member of the royal family. And all the members of Ziba's household became Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he ate all his meals at King David's table. Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
And thanks to our characters here for doing a great addition. Oh, hi there. This is the story of King David and Mephibosheth, and it's a bit of a strange story, as you may have heard, not just the, the rendition that we did here uh, at this point, but really the, the story in and of itself is, is rather odd. I was sp- speaking with my parents the other day, and they asked what I was preaching on, and I said, uh, Mephibosheth and David, and each of them, I was amazed, remembered Mephibosheth, that he was this crippled, crippled uh, son of Jonathan, and that David showed him kindness but what's interesting about this story is there's one other verse about Mephibosheth in the story, and that's in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to that briefly, because really, I mean, this is quite literally what has happened. Mephibosheth is bracketed into the Bible. He's described in parentheses. Uh, the, the narrator kind of talks about a, a number of different people and, and relatives, and then all of a sudden there's, there's this parentheses around verse 4, and it says, well, there was this son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth, and when news came to the house that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, the nurse picked up Mephibosheth to to run for safety, and in the process, Mephibosheth fell, and he was crippled in both feet, and he was just at five years old. And that's all that's really said, and it seems to kind of prepare the readers for this this, uh, gracious act by King David a few chapters later. But it makes you think a little bit, why is this story even in the Bible? Like, is Mephibosheth a a key character here in these stories? Is it just another story to kind of boost up the ego of of King David? And so all of us say, King David really was a man after God's own heart. This guy was great. He was merciful even to crippled people. This This is amazing. He should have been his enemy because he was an heir to the throne, but instead he was so merciful. Or is this story something else? Is it something more than just... Uh, just the fact that it's a nice story and maybe urges us to be nice to other people as well. Well, I want you to look in your Bibles at verse 8. Verse 8 in uh, chapter 9, I think this is really kind of the key to understanding the heart behind this story. And so you'll, you'll see that uh, in, in the commentary that was, that was read just now, I embellished it a little bit to kind of further emphasize the point. But in the text, uh, Mephibosheth, when he here's King David say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have all the land that is your inheritance, and I'm going to let you eat at my table. He says, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? That's Mephibosheth's response. And we see in the text that nothing happens after that. David doesn't say, oh, Mephibosheth, you know, you're not that badly crippled, and you're still of some use to me, and uh, you know what, uh, Maybe you've got great wits about you and I can use you as a, a military strategist and you're going to be of some, some use to me at all. David apparently is, is silent. Now we don't know for sure because we, we know that our, our biblical uh, writers, they don't include everything in the story, but what they choose to include and what they choose not to include certainly makes a point. And in this case, what really seems to be happening here is, is David is silent because he recognizes that Mephibosheth really is this crippled man who is not capable of anything, who has suffered from a fall. And so we get the sense that David basically is recognizing that his gracious actions towards Mephibosheth have nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It really just has to do with David. It's almost like he says, Mephibosheth, it's not about you. It's about me in this situation. I mean, it doesn't matter that you're half my age. 
It doesn't matter that your family has all been killed and done away with. It doesn't matter if you were able to walk. I still would have been gracious to you in this way. You could have been as tall as Goliath. You could have been as wide as the Nile. You could be as wise as my son Solomon. You could be as old as Methuselah. It it doesn't matter because it's not about you. It's about me. It doesn't matter about who you are or what you've done. It's not about you. It's about me. And what we see in this story is that this isn't one of those classic stories that we have a lot in in our culture of this this man who had all the odds against him. He's crippled at age five. He doesn't grow up with a father or a grandfather. And somehow he defies the odds and he tries his hardest and he gets unlucky a couple of times. But he rises up to the throne and he makes this name for himself. We see quite the opposite. We see a man who has absolutely nothing, who is then given everything purely by King David. And what we have is we have a story of grace in really its purest form. And what we see is that grace can never be earned. It can just be taken. And really, that's what, that's what David does in this story. He presents an opportunity for Mephibosheth to take, and it's his decision whether he decides to receive this grace. Which, for most of us here in the church and looking at some of the scriptures and the stories we have, should sound very, very familiar story to us. A story of being crippled and and having nothing and yet being invited to the table, being invited to participate uh, with our superior in this case. And, And this is really the mystery of grace. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. We're not quite sure how it happens. It's mysterious, but it's holy. It's holy, this picture of grace. And we learn that grace can never be earned. It can just be taken. Now, I've, I've come to appreciate the explanation of grace that's given by my favorite author, Frederick Buechner. One sentence is how he describes grace, but he emphasizes it in three different ways. And how he explains grace is he says, there's nothing you have to do. And then he emphasizes three different words in that sentence. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. That's what grace is. It can't be earned, just taken. And it was true of Mephibosheth, and really it's true of us as well. We can scratch and claw our way and try to do everything that we can, but really, at the end of the day, grace is just something that's extended to us. It's offered to us, and we can never earn it. We can only just take it. And as difficult as it is for us to accept the fact The reality is, if we were to draw a parallel between our story and the story of Mephibosheth, we have a few similar characters here. So with our our King David character, we could put the character of God, for those who are visual learners. And where is is us? Where are us going to go? Don't know the correct semantics for that. We would be right here with Mephibosheth. Now, unfortunately, Ziba, we don't have a great parallel to that. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out Who's Ziba in this story? But I really don't think it's all that necessary. Now for us, when we think about the fact that Mephibosheth was this crippled man, and we think about our lives, for me at least, it's difficult to think, well, really? I'm I'm crippled? I've got nothing I can provide? I'm completely hopeless? I'm completely unable to do that? But the interesting thing is you look at Mephibosheth's life. Mephibosheth was crippled in the event because he's running away from danger. 
Back in those times when, when a king died and there was still remaining heirs, they did everything they could to escape because that next king would most likely come and wipe out the rest of the family because they would have inherited the throne. And that was just kind of the culture back in the day. It was gruesome, but it was, it was a reality. And so this nurse, trying to be helpful, rushed him out of the house, and in some sort of instance, he fell and was crippled by that. And you and I are crippled, but in a little bit of a different way. Because we're, we're crippled by our own desires to sin and our own shortcomings in sin. But whereas Mephibosheth was running away from danger, you and I typically choose to run towards danger because sin is really just the alienation of God. It's choosing to do things that are not holy. It's choosing to do things that are wrong in God's sight. And because God is life, we actually choose death. We actually choose danger. And it cripples us. And just as Mephibosheth had a fall, so we too have had a fall. And we suffer the consequences of that fall every single day. But we see that in this case in the story, David had a rich, rich friend, Jonathan. They're described as as best friends. They loved one another. And they made a deal with each other. Jonathan asked David to make him a promise that he would take care of his family. And so we see in this story that, again, it's nothing that Mephibosheth does. It doesn't really matter who he is, what he's been doing for the last 15 years or so, or any sort of relationship in, in this story of David and Mephibosheth. It's because of his father. He wants to show kindness to Mephibosheth because of his friendship and his relationship to his father. And that's not a direct parallel to our relationship with God and what Christ has done for us. But we see that we have this barrier of sin in our life. And Jesus decided to, to take it upon himself to remove that barrier through his death and resurrection for us. And so when God looks at us, he sees his friendship, he sees his connection with Jesus as the opportunity to allow grace to happen. And so just as David looked at Jonathan and that justified the grace that he gave Mephibosheth, so God looks at Jesus as the justification for the grace that he's able to extend to us. And this is the parallel that we have here, and this is what we learn of grace, is that grace can never be earned, just taken. And that's the key to grace, is that it has to be taken. The story would have been a lot more tragic if Mephibosheth said, you know what, I'm a vegan, I don't like the meat that you guys usually serve at the royal tables, and I tell you what, your sons are a bit intimidating. Solomon's pretty smart, Absalom looks pretty strong and handsome, everyone's walking around. I don't think I fit in here, I feel a bit embarrassed I'm just going to go off with my crutches and I'm going to go out and live back in the hills. But he understands that he's been given a gift. And even though he may feel embarrassed to receive this grace, even though he may feel out of sorts, the reality is is that King David, the authority figure in the land, invited him to come to the table and he was wise enough and desperate enough to take it. And you and I have the same grace that extended to us, but if we choose not to take it, It doesn't make God any less gracious. It just makes us unwilling to take that grace. In the book of Revelation, there's a bit of a parallel to this story with the language of a banquet feast. And Jesus is speaking to a church there. and He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. It's the invitation of grace. And we can choose to take it or we can choose to reject it. But grace can never be earned. You and I can never earn it. It can just be taken. 
And so I ask you this morning, are you willing to take grace? Are you willing to receive grace? Are you willing to be able to understand that you and I really are crippled people in desperate need of a God? And just like Mephibosheth, needing of that mercy that he offers to us. Or we choose to reject it. Because each of us has the choice that we need to make about how we respond to grace. We're going to celebrate communion today. It's a tradition that we do in the church. It's also called the Lord's Supper. And kids, if you aren't sitting with your parents at this point, I'd like to invite you to go back and sit with your parents because sometimes parents have specific instructions that you'd like to share with your child about whether or not to participate in communion. So kids, you can go back to your your, uh, seats with your parents at this point. And I want to provide a little bit of a context for what the Lord's Supper looks like. Now the Lord's Supper is, is called that because it was the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before